Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So by now you probably know that Onyx is the premium online scouting tool for hunters by hunters. But one of the things I want to talk about is utilizing the map tool function for scouting, especially with the time of year that we have right now. So when I'm scouting whitetails, specifically, you know, big woods, mountain bucks, or whether that's farm country or or whatever that is, um, using just the map tools, which is just four simple um, tools to be able to use to scout and one of them, the first one is line distance. So when I'm when I'm using the web map online on my computer, I'm going through and I can kind of draw out potential areas I want to scout after work and see if I'm able to do this, you know, in the time frame that I have available, especially with, you know, a busy schedule. And in addition to that, the area shape feature allows me to, you know, basically box in or however freeform shape of an area that I'd like to look at. It'll tell you how many acres that is. And again, that helps me just plan out my scouting trips and make sure that I'm efficient in these trips. And then the other tools are just adding a waypoint and adding photos, which always adding, you know, waypoints on the web map of areas that I want to look at. And then when I'm in the field, I'm using it to to mark key features, signs, and then also add a photo. Um, if say I'd mark, you know, big scrape or a bed, you know, what what does that actually look like? Or what? Or if say I pick out a tree, it's a triple cherry tree. Well, what what does that look like? So when I come back in the fall, I can find this tree and I know how to set up in the dark based off of the the photo that I took in the daytime. So if you want to check out Onyx Maps, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save you 20% off of the online hunt app. Elk 101, the University of Elk Hunting, the online course. So a membership to the online course provides you with immediate access to the most comprehensive and complete resource for increasing your elk hunting knowledge confidence and success so in addition to having full access to this entire course for one year you'll have access to the university of elk hunting mobile app which puts that content from the online course in the palm of your hand anytime anywhere with or without internet or cellular connection so plus any of the UEH members receive incredible discounts from the Elk 101 partners, including 15% off of elk hunting gear in the Elk 101 store. If you want to save $20 off of the online course, you can head over to elk101.com, click on the online course, and use the coupon code East Meets West to save now. And also, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, BHA Bash, is going on this friday in harrisburg so if you're in the area and at the great american outdoor show friday night starts at seven o'clock um the bash is going on it's basically getting everyone together to be able to you know drink a few beers talk hunting fishing and you know get discounts on memberships well i i can't say exactly what we're going to be doing yet but i'm going to be doing um going to be kind of going up on the 
the stage and doing a little bit of a, a fun speaking event there. Um, probably somewhere around nine o'clock there. So come and, you know, enjoy some beers and, uh, enjoy some, a uh, little bit of entertainment as well. So that's going on this Friday at the Appalachian Brewing Company in Harrisburg. And I, I believe the, the actual date on that is, let's see here. That'll be Friday the 7th, so February 7th, 2020, depending on when you're listening to this. So stop in and, and say hello. And then the rest of the weekend, so Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th, I'll be working at the Maven Optics booth, which is in the, the gun hall there. If you're going to be there um, you know, during this week as the Great American Show goes on all week, definitely stop and uh, uh, check that out. So... Um, check out their booth. That's the, you know, the only place you get to check out Maven optics and in person, be able to hold them, take a look at them and, you know, and, and check that out. But, um, and, and also don't forget that if you wanted to order anything from Maven optics, um, head over to mavenoptics.com, use the coupon code East meets West dash gift, and you'll get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. Um, and so lastly, I wanted to talk about Mountain Tough Fitness, which I'm going through the postseason strength program right now, um, which is a part a big which is a small piece of their the big program, which is the Backcountry Hunter All Access. So what that is, it takes all their programs, basically twelve months full of training that uh they put into this online tool that you're able, it's a video-based program. It's delivered directly to your smartphone, tablet, desktop, at the palm of your hands. And you also have private access to the lab, which is a like-minded community for feedback, accountability, and support. And being able to, you know, access the Mountain Tough coaches for any questions and, you know, additional support there. It's really great to have, you know, an online fitness program, the palm of my hand designed for hunters, by hunters that are that will really increase your you know mental toughness. Check out last week's you know podcast I did with Dustin Diefenderfer from Mountain Tough to learn even more about that. So this podcast here, I am talking with Andy May, which I've had Andy on the podcast before, and so he helped me a lot going through target panic and you know the buck fever aspect of you know archery hunting and bow hunting. And so we wanted to, you know, get together and recap that a little bit, talk about, you know, how, how my work, um, in the off season, you know, panned out and during the season, as well as talk about my first season saddle hunting and Andy's first full season, completely committing to a saddle. And he had just some incredible success. Andy's super talented, uh, DIY whitetail hunter. And I respect him, you know, as much as anybody out there. So this is a really great podcast, a lot of knowledge. If you're, you know, thinking about, you know, checking out saddle hunting or anything along those lines, this is the podcast to listen to. He talks about some good tips and, and tricks of how he's using it and a little bit of an unconventional approach as, as most saddle hunters seem to take. So, well, thanks everyone for, you know, listening to this one. Uh, definitely, you know, if you like this, Head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to it. You know, give a rating and review. That, that really helps out a ton. And, um, yeah, so hope everyone has a good week.
All right, we're live at the ATA show. Andy May, what's going on, man? How you doing, Bo? Good, uh, good to finally meet you in person and, and get you back on the podcast. That's for sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was good to meet you too. We had a fun night last night. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we uh, we tied it into one a little bit, a little and that, bit. that's that's always a always a good time at this show and. And it's it's tough to see everybody and and meet new friends and stuff. It's it's a it's a good time. Yeah, it was fun. I was glad to do it. Got to bed at a decent time, and today's been fun, busy, and uh, looking forward to chatting. I was, I know we had, were texting back and forth. I wasn't, um, I guess, I wasn't really intending on doing a podcast, but I, I wanted to. I was just interested in talking to you about, you know, using the saddle for a full season for mm-hmm. your first time. And then I also was wondering how we had talked before about you were dealing with some target panic and some, I know you talked to several people, um, you know, on how to deal with that. And I was just, I just kind of wondered how your season went with, as far as like shot execution and how you're feeling about that now as you know, compared to last time we talked. So, and then we were just like, why don't we make a podcast about it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was a good idea. I mean, like, so we had that episode on the target panic, buck fever and everything, you know, before, and sometimes that stuff doesn't get followed up with. So it's kind of cool to, you know, come back and reflect on it. And same thing with the, you know, the saddle. And it's kind of, it's funny. This is almost like a switching roles a little bit where you're, asking me about it and then i'm interested as far as this was your first full season in a saddle correct like fully committing to it yes it was my first season that i hunted with a saddle from start to finish now i've been hunting with a saddle since 2003 okay um it was an old trophy line and a lot of people have heard the story but the old trophy line was i saw the benefits of it you know that you get rid of that tree stand um but the the downside of it it wasn't comfortable it was heavy. It was, mm-hmm. I don't know, five, six pounds. It was big, bulky thing, but it, still a lot less bulky than a tree stand. So I hunted out of it, you know, for a few years, kind of on and off. I'd go back and forth between that and like a lone wolf and sticks and killed some deer out of it. But I just slowly just kind of gravitated away from the saddle because it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't as good as it could be. And I wasn't creative enough to come up with something that was better. Yeah. And, um, you know, like the last few years, like we see, there's some saddle companies coming out and, and these are guys that are DIY guys that are creative, that, that when they want something, they build it the way they want it. And, uh, last year I got the Mantis, which you've been hunting out of Yep. and I loved the Mantis. And that was, once I got the Mantis, I got halfway through last year and I loved it. I loved how light it was. It was like nothing. And I found good comfort at it i was perfectly happy with the mantis and then uh this year um i was able to uh test a prototype saddle um for the entire season so it was the first season that i didn't sit in a tree stand at all yeah um and i i killed uh, three bucks out of my saddle four actually wearing one because one was from the ground i had the saddle (laughs) on and then one was out west where I didn't have the saddle. So, but um, yeah, and that the new ones, the the tethered Phantom that just Phantom. released here at ATA. Yes, the Phantom. And you know, if if you're a saddle guy, I'm confident. I, I'm I'm pretty confident saying that this is going to be your favorite saddle. Mm-hmm. It is. It is sweet. And uh, if you're if you're a saddle guy that's like on the fence, you know, or or, or you're on the fence of 
buying a saddle, your first saddle, like this is the year to jump in. Like this is a, a great, great saddle. And what it, what it is, is they took the Mantis and they made a great saddle and it got in a lot of people's hands and people loved it. And then there were some people that had a little trouble finding comfort in it. And most of the, most of the issues that you heard was it rode up, it like pulled up, yep. you know, when you're kind of leaning into it. And I'm not, uh, the designer, but the designer explained to me was the shape of it. Um, it tends to want to do that on some people. That's why it, they, it wanted a, like a lower tether height. Yep. Well, this, this phantom is a, is a different shape. And when you get your hands on one, you'll see, but it doesn't ride up. So it's, it, you're not fighting with that, wanting to pull up and kind of dig into your upper hip there. And yeah, it just stays right where you want it. So that in itself was a huge improvement. And then they add these, added these things called comfort channels, which, uh, the bridge loops on the side where your bridge attaches to, they're basically these little channels where you can adjust your bridge and where it pulls. It's like adjusting the pull. So if you want your saddle to really cup under your butt so it feels like a seat, you put it on the low channels. Uh-huh. If you want it kind of in the middle, you put it on the middle channels, and it's kind of more of an even pull. And then if you want to, like, relieve maybe some of that pressure that's under and have it more towards the back of your butt, more of like in a leaning, you, you put it on the high channels. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to hunt all day, making these very tiny minute adjustments that are dramatic in the way it feels. Yeah. And so I, I hunted all day, probably two or three times last year with the Mantis. It was fine. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I felt like it was when I did it with a, with a lone wolf tree stand, I, I toughed it out, you know, yeah, yeah, after a while you're like, eh, you know, I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable. I mean, sitting in a tree stand was never a picnic No, <laughs> uh, for 13 hours. But then this year I did probably four or five all day sits, you know, right in that 12, 13 hour mark. And it was just so nice because it was just that if I, if I start to feel a hint of that, I wasn't comfortable. I just made that little minor adjustment and it was like, boom, it's like you have a new saddle on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that, that angle of pull is, is everything. And then they came out with a new bridge. Um, my prototype does not have the adjustable bridge, but the, the production one will. So now you can adjust your bridge shorter or longer on the fly, which also, uh, impacts comfort. So it's just a really cool saddle made by guys that are much smarter and more creative than yeah. me. And I just, I'm just lucky that I get to <laughs> use it. Yeah. Greg basically. and Ernie and the whole crew. They're yeah, just, those guys are great, man. And, and I just, um, you know, after, after using it for a year, I always saw the benefits in it, but, um, this year in particular, man, it's just been huge. It's been a, uh, I just don't think I'll ever go a season again where I bust out my stand and sticks. I can't think of an instant instance when I would. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I really can't come up with anything. So I, I have a couple comments to what you said. The one about as far as, you know, using a stand and sticks again, the scenario I found where I think I would still use a stand is like if I'm trying to get in like a hemlock tree yeah. or something like that where it's it's a little bit tougher with a bunch of limbs. Yeah. Just, you know, or cedar see, tree or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. I could I could see that for sure. Um, but otherwise I've been freaking loving the the saddle. And so I, I've been using the mantis. And so the, the one thing I noticed, which the adjustable bridge, I again I'm not smart enough to think of what would have fixed this, but this is what it is, is I was on a tree just actually last week where the tree kind of came back. It wasn't perfectly straight and I was sitting there and it made me sit back too much because the, the how I'm 
I'm talking with my hands right now, so you guys can't. So I'm trying to explain it the best I can. But the the tree leaned back towards me, and the the bridge of the saddle goes up and it's one length and attaches to the what is the I'm trying to think of the the tether the tether yep. yeah so as I'm leaning back it was is putting me a little bit further away from the tree than I like and so I was messing around adjusting and I couldn't get it perfect where now you could shorten up that bridge depending on the angle of the tree and stuff there and still be comfortable in it and I was like damn that's a good idea but yeah. again. I saw there was like a little bit of an issue with that, but I didn't know how to fix it. Right. And it's something as simple as. Yeah. So now, now you got, you know, not only your ropeman on the tether, yep. you know, where you could adjust that up higher, but now you can even shorten your bridge. So that brings you up even more. So if you are on a tree that leans, yeah. just quick comment. I always, when I hunted on a tree that leans, I always hunted on that down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then everyone, the, these guys were like, no, you want to be on the top side. So when I started getting on a li- uh, leading tree i would get on the top side where it was leaning away from me and it's like holy crap this is awesome yeah so now it's like you're just standing on a tree stand and you're just leaning back a little bit okay so keep that in mind but sometimes the tree is just leaning the way you know you need to set up in a certain way you can't help it but yep that's pretty funny <laughs> that is funny i uh I, I, and again, it's one of those things too. Like when I look at a tree, sometimes it looks perfect and then you get up there and it's not <laughs> yeah. necessarily that. So those extra adjustments are great. And so I pulled, I pulled probably four or five, maybe six all day sits in mine. And I never felt any more discomfort than I would in a tree stand. You know, I would just change it. I, I bought uh, like roofing knee pads that I was using mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd sit, I'd, loosen up my tether kind of sit there with my knees against the tree saddle it i'd sit sideways I'd this way i'd you know lean back i had a whole bunch of different positions to be able to adjust and find comfort in it because that's the number one thing that i've been asked about is like is that really comfortable to pull an all-day sit and it it took me probably two three you know short hunts in the evening after work to get my comfort figured out get my tether height and so i run mine different than most as far as or at least from what i watch the videos on i I run mine lower like chest level okay my tether and i'm easier to switch positions in it i just feel comfort that way Mm -hmm. i know a lot of guys like running it higher Mm -hmm. and um it's cool that you can make those adjustments for you yeah and you really it it does it takes a little bit of time to i was showing i was showing the saddle to some guys today and i was like you know typically eye to neck is kind of the sweet spot, yep. but it might be different for you. Yep. I like to run the, the top of my saddle below my belt line. Okay. So it's like cup, cupping the bottom. Yep. And Taylor saw it and he's like, is that where you wear your saddle? And I was like, yeah. And that's just where I like it. Yeah. You know, he wears his a little higher. So, I mean, there's no right or wrong. Um, it's just finding finding that comfort. And, and sometimes for some people, it just takes, it takes a little bit of fine tuning and tweaking to find that spot. And then other people are just like, boom, I'm comfortable in it right yeah. in the beginning. So. Yeah, that's that was my experience with it. So where I where I need to improve on with using it is I got the saddle halfway through the season, so I didn't get to practice shooting out of it. And so shooting to my right, mm-hmm. I was struggling with figuring out how to be comfortable and stable in that position. And I think I just need to basically set it up in the yard and just practice with it and figure out. So explain to me what what way were you trying to shoot were you going over the bridge over the twisting? bridge to the right yeah yep. and it seemed like the deer decided to always come that way whenever and i was trying to move to that and it was i just felt a little bit uneasy yeah i was trying to 
to go over there. That was my biggest struggle and and what do you do as far as with that yeah so they they describe that as the weak side shot because it's opposite of your you know if you're right-handed shooter your strong side would be considered you know if you're looking at a clock you know if you're imagining a clock and the clock is the tree imagine like 12 o'clock straight ahead of you all the way to six is pretty much pretty easy to do yeah so the other side of the tree which, uh, you know, your right side, that would be considered the weak side. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is the way you did it. Yep. And that's okay. Um, especially if it's a close shot, you're, you're when you start twisting like that, you're really kind of tearing up your form. Yeah. But if you got a close shot, I've made shots like that on deer. You don't want to be shooting a 40 yarder like that. Yeah. No, you know no. what I mean? So, um, a better way to do that is you can still hit that, that same shot to say, uh, two o'clock by pivoting around the tree all the way around and shooting that way. Yep. Okay. That's one way to do it. That's a little more movement, but just like in a tree stand, like hopefully you're being attentive and you see the deer coming and boom, you kind of can estimate where the shot's going to materialize and you slowly methodically work your way into position. That's one way to do it. Just literally walk around the tree and shoot. You can still hit that same spot. And then the other way, which uh, Ernie and Greg showed me, I never even thought of this. Um, and it might be hard to describe on a podcast and we might have to go show you in the booth, but if you grab your tether with your right hand, stand up and put your back to the tree so that the tether is right here. Yeah. Right over your shoulder. So now I'm, now I just turned that weak side shot into a strong side shot. Yep. Do you get what I'm saying? Yep. And so I, I watched a video where it might've been Ernie that was showing how to, how to do that. And I was like, that's, and that was kind of after I'd been doing it and that's a and i tried it in the tree and that did yeah seem to help because you can lean into that tether that's wrapped over your shoulder again it's hard to explain on the podcast but when it's over your shoulder you can lean into it and you're almost just like standing on a small platform tree stand yeah exactly at that point yep but where you were talking about wrapping around the tree that's my i feel so comfortable when i put my knees on the tree and kind of just like I, I like to put my knee on and kind of wrap around. Exactly. And I feel so rock solid. Like I feel almost rocks as, as I would on the ground in my yard, you know, just shooting the target. I, yeah. Well, think about it when you do that, when you, when you, so like when you're in a tree stand, you're shooting, standing up, you know, your feet are on the platform. Yep. It's like you're shooting on flat ground, right? You got one point of contact, but when you are able to lean into a saddle, now I got my foot feet on the platform. I'm leaning into a saddle. So there's two points of contact that are already up closer to where I have the bow. Yep. And then you put your knees in to the tree. Yep. Now you got three. You know what I mean? So it, it does really give you a nice, stable base. And I shot my, uh, my Maryland buck just the way you just described it. You know, he was, he was coming like this. It kind of caught me off guard. I was in uh, open hill country. Um, I was in a beanpole tree, but I was really high up and he was coming like this and there were some other deer around and I felt like I felt really scared to move cause he kind of caught me off guard. I like turned and he was already in bow range yeah. moving quick. So I let him kind of go past the tree and then I did that. I did just, as you said, I just kind of leaned out, put one knee into the tree and drew back and I shot at 31 yards and man, I was just, I just felt so stable and my pin was just sitting there. And a lot of guys ask like, is it hard to shoot out of? Um, you know, it, the, the learning curve out of shooting it is just trusting that that saddle that it's holding you. Like you're leaning into it. You're kind of, it, you know, it almost feels like you're, I mean, if it wasn't holding you, you essentially you'd 
fall, right? Yeah. But it's you just got to trust that the system is holding you, and you just keep your form and lean into that and just trust it. It just takes time, you know. And, and Greg always suggests, you know, set it up at ground level, like six inches, and put a block target, you know, a couple block targets, or move them all around your tree and practice those shots, and then go up to five feet, and go up to ten. Yeah, you know, do that, and then it's really, it's really nothing to it. It seems daunting at first, and it seems so different than hunting out of a tree stand, and that's the scariest part. But once you get in it, you know everybody's like, "Man, wow, this is cool! Like this is. is gonna this is gonna work," you know? Yeah. And so the the one thing I noticed with being able to shoot around the tree, the diameter of the tree comes into play. Yeah. Uh, a smaller size, like say a basketball size, seems to be really good. Like I can deal. loop the whole way around the tree for those weak side shots. Yes. But I wrap around the left, like you're saying, where if I'm in a bigger, say a big oak tree out on this, you know, point or something, it's a little bit tougher to wrap yourself all the way around. But it, with that, when it's a bigger tree like that, it's giving you more cover to be able to make that move and maybe put that over your shoulder or do one of those other shots. So it, it all comes down to the situation and just yeah figuring it out as you, as you go with it. But yeah, there's a couple, uh, a, a couple instances um, on hunts this year that the hunting out of a saddle was really beneficial to me, I think. And one of them was the buck, the buck I just told you about the Maryland buck. That was in hill country, a lot of tulip poplar trees that are just bean poles, as high as you can go, like no cover. And it's just like that all through the hills. And I mean, that time of year, late December, it's just bare. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there, there's a little bit of ground cover, but once you get up in the trees, it's like you stick out like a sore thumb. And this was in a very high deer density area. So the, I, I my buddy had had done some scouting and glassing and he found where a bunch of deer were that season, uh, that time of season and they were religiously just hitting this winter wheat field so i just had to get back in the hills and find out where they were traveling through but there were so many deer and i hunted that area for three days before i got my shot at my deer but it was really cool to be able to hunt such a bare tree these are essentially like climber trees you know but i could hunt on the back side of the tree so all these deer are kind of filtering through out of these hills and i could be on the back side of the tree using the tree as basically like as as like a, a blind or a cover yeah you know and I could sit there and just totally hidden, you know, I mean, maybe my shoulders were sticking out, but it wasn't nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I could just peek my head and as deer are walking by, I'm just, just slowly kind of working my way, keeping the tree between yeah. me and the deer. And it, I was just thinking, man, if I was in a climber right now, I would be so screwed. Yeah. You know, I'd have to be 35 feet up, like so high that they'd never look up that high. How high were you in that tree? I was like 25. Okay. You know, and, so, so and to be honest with up. you. I don't like getting up 35 feet because yeah. it makes the shots hard. You know, it really does. So I don't like getting up that high. If I had a climber, I, I would have probably need to get up 30 plus. Um, but I was at a good height and I used that tree. And then the same thing can be said when you're hunting low. So like my Michigan buck, I shot it like 11 feet up in the tree. Mm -hmm. And uh, same thing. I sat on the backside of the tree where I was expecting him to come and at, you know, 30, 20 minutes before dark, I see him starting working his way through the, the, the CRP field and he's coming and I'm expecting him to travel over here, you know, give me like a 15 to 20 yard shot where, you know, 99% of the time that's where the deer go. Well, for whatever reason, he's just beeline right to my tree and I'm like this and I can't come to full draw because he's facing me walking and he gets right to the, pretty much the base of my tree is like seven yards just right here and he starts sniffing. And I had to walk through a creek 
and I walked through the creek at a specific spot. So I was like, okay, I have to cross where this deer is going to travel. I have to cross where when he does, I can shoot him because he's going to smell my ground scent. Yeah. So I, I, I crossed at that specific spot so I could get him to stop right there. Well, I didn't think about this. The water was traveling this way towards the deer and he stopped like five yards short of that. And he was smelling my scent through the water. Like, I don't know how, yeah. never would have guessed it, but he stopped and he started getting all squirrely right there. And he's like smelling the water. Like I must've <laughs> rubbed up against some vegetation or something. Yeah. And maybe the, the, the flow of the water was just carrying a little bit of my scent right there. But anyway, I was on the backside of the tree and this was a big tree, you know, one that you could not shoot all the way around. And while he was there facing me at seven yards, I came to full draw on the backside of the tree and then just slowly creeped to the left just enough and got a shot off. And like, as I got into shooting position, he went like this and looked right up at me and got it just like that. I mean, I was about to lose my opportunity, but I was low. And that's another great, uh, a great way to use a saddle is sometimes I like to be low when you can't do a lot of trimming and stuff. You can set up and just use that tree as your cover. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to hunt low, say, say ground level to 12 feet, saddle is really nice because you can get on that back side of the tree and you're completely hidden you know yeah. that's a, a, a huge so you, advantage so you do do that sometimes where you're setting up your saddle basically at ground level and just hopping in it yeah that's so cool yeah yeah and so yeah someone might ask why don't you just hunt from the ground yeah well there's a couple hunts this year where i hunt from the ground a lot i, I killed yeah. one of my deer this year with the saddle on but i was on the ground you know kind of spotting and stalking but Sometimes when I, usually when I'm hunting from the ground, it's because I'm getting into a real sensitive area and I don't think I can get away with getting up in the tree, whether it's from sight or noise. So on the, on this particular hunt that I was thinking of, I, I creeped in there. I put my platform on my platform was literally like eight inches off the ground, (laughs) but all I want to do is get up off the leaves. So I didn't have to clean leaves away because I wanted to be able to, to maneuver a little bit for the shot. But I, I, I was in a spot that I felt was so sensitive, it was so dead calm. It was kind of like uh, mid-October, no wind, and I didn't want to, like, brush leaves away. That would have made all kinds of racket. So I just set that platform down, tethered in, and I was there hunting, you know, eight, nine inches off the ground, but I was on the back side of this tree. And I was going after this one in particular buck who didn't show, but I had, like, eight other deer come anywhere from, like, seven yards to 30 yards traveling through. Could have shot all of them. They had no idea I was there. So that's another really cool way to to use a saddle. My my thing, everybody has their reasons they like it. I like it because it's it's such a small, light, uh, compact, non-bulky system that is completely versatile. I can go stalk a buck in a CRP field wearing my saddle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can go into hill country and I can get up 30 feet if I have a climbing method, get up 30 feet with my saddle. I can hunt it 10 feet on the backside of this tree and be completely hidden with the saddle. And when you, when you know, when you got a climber or a hang on with four sticks or something like that, it eliminates a lot of those possibilities. And, and I like having all that right there and I can do it. Um, you know, on a whim, like half the time, I don't even know where I'm going to set up. So I, I like just to have that there if I need it. And I, I can hunt anywhere from sky high to ground level wearing the same system. So how many sticks are you normally taking in with you? Does it depend on where you're going yeah, or so what are you doing? My public land 
pretty much my public land climbing method this year has been anywhere from three to four of the modified Hawk helium sticks. Oh, you cutting them down to the, I cut them down to yeah. like 23 inches or so, 23 and a half. I got a pretty long stride. And then I use a one loop, a continuous loop movable aider. Okay. So I put it on the first one, step on the aider, step on the stick, top of the stick, grab the aider. I'm set my second stick, move the aider up. So that aider, what that does, is it gives me about another 12 to 18 inches of extra real estate yep. as I go up. So like three sticks with the aider gets me as high as like four sticks and mm-hmm. four sticks with the aider gets me as high as five. <clears throat> um, and then if I'm hunting where screwing steps are legal or I hunt a lot of private pieces, like small, like really tiny permission spots that are like, like anywhere from like my smallest one is two acres to like one of the bigger ones is like around 40, but, but it's, they're very pressured in the fact that they let a lot of other people hunt. So it's shared properties. Yeah. Um, and I have to hunt mobile even on those little tiny pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I got, I can't let the other hunters know where I'm hunting. Like that situation is, is very difficult as well. So, um, on, on that situation, what I usually do is I usually just carry a pouch of those, those really high quality Cranford screw in steps. I'm still real comfortable just going up with those. Yeah. That's how I used to always hunt mobile. And, and those, uh, if you are a screw in stick or a screw in step guy, those Cranford easy screws are really hard steel thick. They bite into the tree and they just, they go in like butter compared to like those green Amara steps. Yeah. You know, so Uh that's, that's pretty much how I do it. So, yeah. So I, this year I was just using the regular Hawk helium sticks, just full length and everything. And, and I'm trying to, I was trying to find a way of lightening them up. And I saw Greg did a video on modifying them, mm-hmm. cutting them down. I think he had his like 22 inches or something. And, and looking at that, there's also, I was checking out today at the show, Lone Wolf Custom Gears new yeah. sticks. Like they have the, the small one has the two steps on it with the built in aider that's that freaking looks, sweet. That looks legit, didn't it? And, uh, and then they have one that has the double steps now too. Yeah. That are are fixed, and that's a pretty pretty cool setup too. So I'm not sure if I'm going to modify my hawks, try out something different. I don't know, but I I like I want to use start using an aider um, or of some sort to help you know not, either not have to carry so many sticks or I can cut them down and cut some weight. I, I it's fun trying to modify this stuff, and yeah. like I'm just getting into this side of things. I, I honestly, in my other setups, I didn't really DIY anything with it. Just kind of ran with it. Way yeah. It besides kind of how I was besides too. silencing things like I'll hockey tape things or do whatever, but that's about, yep. About it. That's and, how I was. And it's kind of fun. I mean, these guys here tethered and stuff, get me pumped up watching some of the stuff they do. It's cool. The companies are listening that, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are DIY type guys that are hunting, hunting, pressured type deer and they know to be successful you have to be mobile so there's a you know every year they're coming out with sticks and then the sticks get lighter and now they're stacking better and you know everything's getting a little more streamlined and a little lighter so it's moving in a really exciting direction the climbing method has always been something that I've never been 100% happy with any method. Yeah. Like, I don't like putting in the screwing steps, but I like it that it's just they're all in a little pouch. Yeah. And I don't really like hanging the sticks. I mean, I don't mind hanging the sticks. I don't like carrying the sticks because then that's a significant weight, right? So, yeah, that's always something that I'm I'm pretty much set and dialed in with everything. But the climbing method, I'm always, you know, trying different things and tweaking different things. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's super cool, and it's fun. Like I said, just to mess around and try it. And when going back to like the the height as far as what you hunt, a lot of times, I'm my normal setup is twelve to sixteen feet. I usually don't go very high, and a lot of times I'm in trees that have a bunch of branches that gives me that cover that I need. And you know, it, it depends if I'm on if I'm hunting real hill country with like big oaks and stuff like that. Then I try to get higher because of you know, just the cover reason. But one thing I noticed with being in the, the saddle, the angle you come off a tree almost makes you look like a branch a little bit more. Yeah. So I had a couple deer recently. I mean, like right now the woods are bare. There's no leaves. You stick out a lot, you know, better. And these does picked me out of the tree, but they couldn't tell what I was. I just didn't move. I just sat there and they're looking at me. They're walking. They ended up, they, they walked like the whole way around. They're like looking up and then they just went back to feeding. Yeah. And it was just held still and they just dismissed you as yeah. tree branch <laughs> and they came on the back side of me so i'm sticking out like like a sore thumb on this wide open big oak tree and they just didn't yeah. pick me like they they picked me out but couldn't figure out i've had that same experience so they they see you and just like they do in a tree stand sometimes and yeah. when it's bare that time of, that time of year they come out they see this big giant ball this blob up there and they're like yeah but but in a saddle you you're right you have a little more natural profile coming off the tree just like similar like a big limb would be yeah, coming off yeah yeah and if you hold still most of the time they just let it go where if you're in a big bulky climber you're sitting there and you're like oh no you know you're just busted <laughs> dude there's yeah. nothing you can do yeah so. I, I was one doe oh i wanted to kill her just because she wouldn't shut up she kept snorting at me but uh-huh. but wouldn't run uh-huh. and the other deer were coming to check out what she's snorting at and she's just snorting but couldn't figure it out was getting so pissed because i wasn't moving uh-huh. <laughs> and i was i was like laughing those are the worst yeah yeah i was like kind of laughing to myself but yeah man the the saddle experience this year has been a positive one and so do you feel like for you is it a is it a more of a run and gun thing or is this like a, a full season like going forward you know most of the time i think most of the time yeah. i mean I, there's still a few places that i know are good rut stands that I'll put a fixed stand in or someplace I want to sure. jump in quick after work. I might have an hour. I don't preset. Yeah. yeah I, I, so I'll, I'll have a couple preset this year. I th- had one preset and that was it. And I hunted just out of the saddle and I, I did use my, my other stand a little bit too. Um, but I, I, the more I get comfortable with the saddle and stuff, I think that probably for 85, 90% of the situations that I'd, I'm going to hunt out of that. Yeah. So one thing that's, I mean, everybody's talked about it, but one thing that I think should be stressed is the safety of the saddle. So Carl, the designer, he says it best. A tree stand harness catches you when you fall, but a, but a, a, a saddle, um, doesn't let you fall. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't allow you to fall because you're already leaning into it. Yep. Um, so the safety aspect of it can't be denied. And there's a, um, there's this guy, are you familiar with Warren Womack? Mm-mm. You ever heard that name? No. He's kind of a, in my mind, a legendary bow hunter from the South. He's from Louisiana. He okay. Killed, I mean, more deer than anybody I know. Yeah. Like just a lot of deer, a lot of bow deer too. So he's in his, I think he's in his nineties now, um, maybe early nineties. Don't quote me on that, but he started saddle hunting two years ago <laughs> in his, in his late eighties or early nineties, whatever he is. And the reason he did it is because his wife would not let him climb up into a tree stand anymore. So he saw the benefits of the saddle and saw that the fact that with a saddle, you have a, you know, an integrated lineman belt yep. that you hook in at ground level 
So you, now you're, you're hooked in, you're completely safe as soon as your foot leaves. You know, you go up the tree, you hang your sticks or whatever your climbing method is. Maybe you got a, uh, you know, some steps already in there. You get to hunting height, you're still tied in, you grab your tether, you hook that around the tree, and then you take your bridge and you hook it onto the tether. So now you're hooked in twice, you take your lineman belt off, stuff it in your pouch, and you are never unhooked, going up or down. Yep. So here's this, you know, 90-year-old man still out there killing it, and he's, you know, getting 15, 20 feet up using a saddle. And I just, I think that's just so cool and so inspiring, you know. How many guys would be sitting at home and be like, uh, so no, you know, I can't can't do it anymore like he's out there just still pounding yeah dude that's 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 badass to you need to that. get him on a he's a good podcast too i mean the guy has killed some deer he's he's really neat really neat guy yeah that is that is so cool yeah <laughs> i i hope to be that age and, yeah and still no kidding just cranking it out like that i can't imagine the amount of knowledge you know he's he forgets more than i know i'm sure yeah you know? exactly <laughs> yeah that's what you that's what you feel when you talk to him for sure that's funny um so andy this year so you hunted a lot of the saddle and what you said you killed four whitetail bucks out of it. So, so I, four wearing the saddle, three were from elevated. Yeah. Um, one, I wore it in and this is kind of goes back to what I saw, said. One of the benefits was, um, I wore it in not knowing if I was going to set up in a tree or hunt from the ground. This was in a, a part of Ohio that's really wide open. Mm-hmm. So it's, most of the time I feel like it's advantageous for me to be on the ground. A lot of glassing, very little cover, really hard area to hunt. Cause it's not like it's CRP ground. It's like farm ground and it's real aggressive farming and you get the crops out, but this was a really wet year. So there's a lot of corn and beans up and I had glass this buck, um, two or three days, like the week, uh, prior to the kill, um, before work, I was driving down to Ohio to glass and then driving all the way back up into Michigan to work. I mean, it doesn't, it sounds farther than it was, but I was going, you know, adding another 45 minutes to work or so. Yeah. And I, I knew this deer was in the area and I wanted to spend the time. I knew the time for me to find him. I was going to have to use glass because I wasn't, he wasn't showing up on cameras. I didn't know. So I, I wasn't really sure where he was at. So I, I glassed and was pretty much running this like two mile circuit. Um, and then I finally found him and he was coming out on a property I couldn't hunt, but paralleling a property I could. And then when I, when I, um, when I actually saw him, uh, I actually saw him cut the corner of a property I could hunt. So then I was like, all right, that's, that's where I need to be. That's where I'm going to get him. And so the next day or no, it wasn't the next day. It was two days later when I had a good wind. I grab the saddle on, don't even know if there's a tree over there for me, but there's trees. I figured I could make something work and I get over there and, you know, I start setting up in the tree and I get, you know, again, like 10 feet high or so. And then I see him come out of the same little strip of cover that he did uh, the day before. And they're out feeding into these beans, kind of working their way towards me. And now instead of coming towards me, they're more paralleling and they end up crossing, you know, coming by me, but way onto other property. I couldn't hunt 80, 90 yards or so. And then they go into a standing cornfield and I'm like, crap. So then about another hundred yards down out of the standing corn, I just see this, this big giant buck come out different deer. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap. And he's going back the other way where the other deer came out. So I unhooked, cinched everything up and I'm running and I'm, I'm trying to cut this deer off in case he comes back onto where I can hunt. So I'm running down, it's probably, you know, 300 yards or so I get set up and I see this deer going into the patch of cover where the other one came out of. 
So I'm like, it's, it's getting dusky now. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, what do I do? You know? So I grab my rattling antlers and I start clashing them together and that big buck stops and he looks and I'm sitting here hammering them and I'm on the ground and then he looks for a while and then he just goes into that cover and I'm like, dang. And then I look back where I just was and here comes the buck that I was after in the first place coming into the rattling. No way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I had completely forgot about him, but I was rattling to this deer and this one's coming with another buck behind him. A, 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 he was a nice 10 and there was an eight point behind him and I'm on the ground Got the antlers, and I'm like, holy crap. Like, they're already yeah. 50 yards and closing, like, walking beeline. And I'm, like, I'm in this, like, brushy kind of, like, fence row, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm setting these down, grabbing my bow. You know, I get my get my release out of my pocket. I put it on all – now they're within 30, and I'm just moving like a statue. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So the eight point comes, and he comes within, like, 12 yards – looks right at me and I'm just, I'm just like this, like in the brushy fence row, like I'm in some bushy trees and stuff. So I'm kind of hidden, but he's looking right at me and the other 10 point, he kind of loses interest and he starts feeding in the beans and that eight point ends up ignoring me and walking by. And then here comes that 10 and I came to full draw real slow and ended up shooting him right there. Like, I don't know, it was like 14 yards or something, <laughs> but, but another advantage of the saddle, right? Yeah. You know, I was able to, I didn't have to worry about climbing down with the climber. I mean, I, I was down in an instant and, you know, running through these properties, literally running through these properties, getting position and it just worked out. But the other three that I, that I killed were yes, from an elevated position. So it was, it was just a neat year. And if anything, just solidified my confidence and, and my feelings of the advantages of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> You had definitely a solid year. It seemed like every time I was talking to you on Instagram, I was like, he killed another buck. Like, it's just, I don't know that, that that's awesome. I was pumped, uh, pumped to get to see that. And, and I, I can, I can tell you one thing I'd was really, uh, I guess grateful for some of your advice and help with my going through the target panic side of things that we talked about in the summer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, yeah, you put some great shots on deer and you were talking in on the last episode if if you haven't listened to it, Andy and I did one release back at the beginning of September that uh had to do with, you know, target panic, buck fever and kind of your process and how you became you know, became better with it and and you know, better shot execution. So I from going through these processes, these steps and kind of changing my head game around a little bit. I had the best year I ever had as far as feeling confident in, in my shots. And I talked about it on the podcast. I've talked about it to you. I did shoot a deer that I didn't recover, mm -hmm. but I was super confident in that shot. And it was not from me punching the trigger. It wasn't, it was down, came down to shot placement on me. Like the it came execution down, was good. The execution was good. And that's, even though missing and, and wounding an animal is the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. It's it's a hundred times worse when you screw up the shot execution by punching the trigger, jerking your bow because yeah. you're not in control. I had the same thing. We can talk about my issue too. I, yeah. It happened to me too. But when you make a good shot execution, you know that it's it's a, a little bit better feeling because you know you at least held together that part. There, it's hunting. Animals move. Sometimes, I mean, it's bow and arrow. We're not pinpoint accuracy pros here. 
Yeah. You know, we're trying our best and we try to improve, but you know, things happen. But I, since being able to execute a good shot, if I can do that, I can accept what happens on the other end. Yep. It, it might not always be what I want, but I can accept that. What I can't accept is me screwing up the front end. And that's probably how you felt. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, you know, I was devastated about it. And I don't remember if I told you this part, but that deer ended up living. I got him on my trail camera after that with the scar. You could see where I hit him at. And then a guy ended up killing him the second to last day of rifle season. Oh, wow. And I ran into this hunter the day I hit him and was like, he was going in to hunt. I was like, hey, man, if there's any way you could stay out of here, you know, I hit this buck. And he was real cool about it. And then he sent me a picture. He shot it in rifle season. Really? So, and he's like, yeah, your, your scar's there where it hit. Oh, wow. And looks like I may have clipped one lung, but mo- mostly just straight flesh wound and uh from hitting low and and uh but anyways so that was that was kind of funny but a, a funny end of that story and I'm, I'm glad that you know someone else was able yeah. to get him and deer was fine yeah, it's a good story but yeah, uh not how you wanted to shout but no yeah i mean so yeah that's how that went and and you had you were telling me a little bit about a situation you had where yes so as good as my deer season went yeah <laughs> um i went elk hunting for the first time uh this year and just man what a blast it was it far exceeded my expectations um i loved the physicalness of it uh you know that was challenging um the elk hunting in my opinion was was great um we were into elk every day um, and I did have my opportunity and it wasn't at your like average run of the mill bull either. It was, uh, for an OTC tag, you know, from what I understand is probably a bull of a lifetime, you know, three thirty, three forty type. Are you serious? Yeah. Big, big, big giant six by six. And, uh, same thing. I, um, I'm so used to, you know what I, I, you know what I didn't do is I didn't. I just kind of went into elk hunting thinking like, man, it's a great big target. You know what I mean? Like I, I practice my archery. The archery is not anything I'm never not confident in. But what I did was with the deer, I'm so used to hugging the shoulder because deer, are, you know, I, I have a 30 inch draw length, you know, I, I tuck it in close to the shoulder on most shots Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, good things happen for me. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I usually yeah. pass through and if, if not, I'm, you know, breaking through stuff and deer don't go far. I did that with this elk. Now, why you'd want to hug a shoulder of an elk, I have no idea, yeah. but I did. And, and I came back, I was excited. I wouldn't say nervous, but I was excited. And I literally watched my pin settle right where I always aim for a deer. And I don't know why I did it because I got I got a good eighteen inches behind there that I should have hit yeah. before, right? It was just a dumb mistake, but my shot execution, everything was just perfect. In fact, my buddy said when we after the fact, he's like, "I watched you." He goes, "You were so rock solid," like, and he goes, "Your arm just flew back," and that you know that just tells me I was just building pressure, and the shot broke. Everything felt great, and I hit that bull. And, you know, I got limited penetration and I'm feeling like it was a, probably a one lung type hit. I don't know what exactly I hit, but I definitely aimed too far forward. Um, and I never recovered that elk. So it was one of those things was, you know, to this day it's pretty devastating because, you know, I put a, I tried that hunt, man. I I really poured it in, poured it all out, you know, on that hunt, um, dark to dark, just, I'm sure like you do. And, uh, didn't necessarily need a successful hunt to have a good hunt 
but I wanted to capitalize if I had my opportunity and I had my opportunity and it didn't turn out the way I wanted. But one thing I can say is my shot execution was good. My, my placement of my aiming, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I'm not sure what I was thinking. If that was deer, he's done. Yeah. But the elk, it's a whole different thing, you know? So, you know, you learn and that's bow hunting. Bow hunting is tough and elk are tough. And, and all I can think about now is just redemption. Like I just can't wait to go back and, yeah, try to redeem myself. Yeah, man, that's that's a, that's a tough a tough story. But the thing that's funny that about what you're saying about hugging the shoulder and stuff, you know, I it was probably until this year. Luckily, I didn't I didn't have any other opportunities like where I actually could shoot an elk the first three years of hunting. But I don't remember who said it, or I heard it on a podcast, or I was talking to somebody and they were talking about where they aim on an elk, and they were saying like they were even like four or five inches off that shoulder. They're like, then you have that gap. And you, I, I, that's, I shoot the same way you do with whitetails. I'm even right at that crease basically. Yeah. And and I know that with, I don't have a long draw, but with my bow, my setup, I'm confident it's going to blow through that shoulder if I even hit right there. And I've done that. And it's I'm not worried about it. With an elk, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. And so luckily with my bowl this year, I did, I held it off the shoulder. I probably aimed about four inches back and, and hit there, which was, was good. But tell man. me about that shot. Tell me what your shot felt like, what you were, what were you thinking about in the moment, how it felt like when the shot broke? Yeah. So first of all, I can't wait for you to see the, the actual video when, when it comes out here, uh, shortly, but it was, um, so I drew back on the, on the bowl. I remember right away I started just shaking like a leaf like I was like this is my my chance you know and I'm like and I'm like I I started talking to myself in the head like this probably took you know maybe a second and a half for me to say all these things but it felt like a minute of me being like I was like no get it together execute execute I just kept telling myself that like Mm -hmm. this is your chance basically don't mess it up and and just kept pulling 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 and that shot broke and it just felt like yes yes then then i heard a loud whack and i'm like no (laughs) and but with with the elk their ribs are so big so i just i just crushed your ribs but it sounded like a shoulder on a white tail huge yeah they're huge they're huge and i couldn't see because there's no lighted knocks or anything in idaho so i was i didn't see where the arrow went and i'm like i don't know and he started running away and i cow called with my mouth and the bull stops and turns and looks at me, and I saw the blood running down its side, and I'm like, yes, and then it just flopped over oh in the meadow, gosh. and uh, I literally just freaking lost it. Went, uh, I, I fell down, and I'm you know, just losing my shit, and I, I, then I look back up, and it gets back up, and I'm like, oh, no. And you, you see me in the video, like I'm like panicking, and then all of a sudden he falls over again. He's done. <laughs> but, oh, it was, it was the, coolest, the coolest thing. It was a uh, 60-yard shot, and what was – so crazy about it what kind of kept flashing back in my mind was my in the summer I, I shoot all different yardages but from my patio to my target which I actually I, I bought one of those two-dimensional um I can't think of the name of the the target but um solo targets mm-hmm. they, they they look like a real picture of an elk and you yeah. just put it on the front of your bag target or whatever and that's 60 yards from my patio to there so that's like my you know, if I'm just getting in some reps, that's where I was shooting from a lot of times. So everything just felt like I was in my yard, you yeah. know, and I actually shot off my knees. I was on rocks on the side of like a hill and he was out in this, this meadow and it was just like as picture perfect mm-hmm. as you could, you could get. And the one thing I, that I was happy with was 
I took my time and the bull wasn't, you know, alert. I didn't call to him or nothing. Like, so he was, he was, I had all the time in the world, basically, besides the fact that the cows were about to hit our wind stream. So that was a little bit, but I, I took a, an extra second to range him again to make sure I knew what the yardage. I had my slider sight. I dialed it 60 yards. I mean, it was, you don't get opportunities like that, that were just, it felt like it was just set up for me. Like everything was shining down. Like yeah. this is it. Well, I remember uh, you, you had had some mishaps elk hunting yeah. prior, right? And I know uh, from listening to a, a couple of your podcasts that you were like, this was a major goal of yours. Yeah. This was huge. And you, you know, you vocalized that and, and you shared that and your, your, your pitfalls. And I was, I was rooting for you, man. And when mm-hmm. I heard that you did that, I was, I was really proud of you. That was cool. And yeah. And I remember I asked you one of the first things I asked you, I was like, how did you, how'd you feel about your shot execution? Yeah, you did. did. You know, that was because I, I know you had put in a lot of work yep. with that too. And one thing I'll, I'll tell you, like you, you hear what some guys, what are you thinking about at the moment of truth, the shot? And some guys, even like some of these big name hunters out here, some of them are say, some of them say, don't screw this up or, yeah. you know, don't miss this. Don't blow your chance. Well, I, th- I say, don't think about any of that. Don't focus on, you know, who, who someone said something. I'm pretty 90% sure it was John Dudley, but he said something that really stuck with me. He said, don't focus on the prize, focus on the process. Mm-hmm. So don't think about missing your elk. Don't think about, my buddies are going to love this picture. Don't yeah. think about the elk <laughs> on your wall. Don't think about, don't screw this up. Just think about your process and yep. nothing else. You know, all that other stuff, you just, everything else you got to turn off just for a minute and just focus on that pull, 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 pull. Mm-hmm. Boom. Once that arrow goes, then think about that. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. And, and the confidence in it. And I had confidence from building it this summer at the beginning of the, yeah. this, in the spring and stuff, I didn't have confidence. Yeah. And going from ground zero and blind bail shooting. And, and I shot without my sight on for a month and a half, like just practicing. And I started using, you know, a, you know, a hinge style release. And just like, it took me all, just everything built up to that one moment. And it was, it was so cool. And like you said, I mean, I shared all my struggles from out the years. I screwed up more things than, you know, I, I, if I had been, uh, a good elk hunter or experienced in any way. I should have had a bull every single year. I've elk hunted. I've had opportunities. It's just, I screwed them up. And, but that's, that's the learning curve with anything. You're going to screw things up. You just, the way, the way I look at anything and it's, I guess it's kind of cliche, but you, you can't fail if you don't quit. If you just keep going and going and going <laughs> yeah. and that's, I'm too stubborn. And you can't now. learn without the mistakes. Yes, you're exactly you right. You know what I mean? That's what teaches you what needs to get better and what you need to improve. And, uh, it's been really cool watching, you know, uh, watching you kind of with your target panic jer- uh, journey. And, and I helped a little bit with that. And then, and then I helped our buddy, Mark Kenyon too. Like yeah. he, two years ago, he was struggling with the same thing. And then this year, you know, he puts that perfect shot on that, that wide eight in Michigan. And he's just, you know, using that silver back, just back tension, pull, 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 just drilled him through both lungs. And it's just really cool to see you guys go through what I went through. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm no expert. I just went through it before you guys did. And I was able to help you through it, but there were people that went through it before me that helped me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's, it's pretty neat to, to watch that and watch you guys be successful. And yeah, it's a, it's a good feeling when you get that, get that archery under control. 
Yeah. You know, that's a big, that's a huge part of the hunt. It is. You, know, it's, it's, <laughs> you, yeah, know? you put in all this work, you got to be able to, to finish at the end, you that's know? Right. And, and so I was talking to a buddy of mine last night at the bar actually, and he was talking about, I said, Hey, how'd your season go? He's like, I missed two great bucks. He's like, dude, I just fell apart. Like I, mm. and it sounded like a target panic type issue. And you know, and, and I was talking about my experience and everything, talking to you. Brady Miller was a big help to me and yeah. uh, my buddy Greg Litzinger and, and like some other people were just super helpful yeah. with that. And I'm like, I, I hope to be able to share that now with other people. I'm no expert in it, but, you know, it, it's, it's. You'll be able to share share what you went through and what yep. helped you and that'll help somebody else. Yep. And that's, and then everyone finds their own little things that, that work within that. But yeah. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's cool. I love, I love archery. I love bow hunting. It's so just I. like there's so much to learn. We're never perfect at anything. There's always room for, I guess, improvement there. But yeah, yeah, I think that's what I love about both archery and bow hunting is like you, you don't ever master it. So there's really no reason to ever stop working at it. No, you know what I mean. Like if you're, if you have the mindset, I think you and I have similar mindset that like it's not necessarily about you know, putting a, a wall full of bucks, you know, in your home. It's, it's just, I, I, I strive cause I want to, I just want to keep getting better because I just really like doing this and I like doing it at a high level, but you can never, um, you can never master it. So there's always room to get better. Yeah. And I just really like the pursuit of, it's like you're chasing mastery, but you know, you'll never get it. Yeah. 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 You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You, you have that, that end goal is, you know, being the the best hunter in the world, say, but you know you'll never be there. Right. But you just keep you work towards that, and you get better and better just and keep better. Better, yeah. And so that that's something that for me, like I this this year I hunted about ninety percent of brand new areas I've never hunted, even in different terrain and places that I've never hunted before. And you know, in my head, I'm like, why are you being stupid? Why don't you go hunt these same spots that you've been successful in the past? But I love learning new things. Like yeah. this was a new challenge. For exactly. me, not that I mastered the other thing, but it was just something new and trying. I learned a ton, and you know, I this is I was saying I had an Instagram post the other day. This is the first year since 2011 I didn't feel buck tag, yeah. and that's that hurts, believe me. But I, if you look at it from a, a positive standpoint, I learned so much. I had my opportunity, yep, and that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah, and just keep you know working, working better at it, and and uh, yeah, there's. It's it's freaking awesome. I love it. It is. Me too. Well, Andy, what do you think? What do you, you want to wrap this up? Yeah, man, it's a good conversation. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I had, I had a blast, man. Uh, um, yeah, I'm ready to get some food and maybe have a little more fun tonight. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think think there might be a little fun. Yeah, we can, we can do that. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming on and for everything else. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.